0: pray and stuff uh, but uh, I never had a relationship with him Um, I actually went to youth group um, messed up all the time like that's what I did on Wednesday nights was get messed up and go to youth group (laughs) it just was that regular worldly life where everything uh, consumed me sex drugs and rock and roll all that stuff I reunited with a with a high school sweetheart and uh and we just fell in love, and uh, we uh, had a child and um, by this point, I was drinking eighteen pack a day or a fifth of liquor just to uh, sleep at night. that was just the beginning of the night, so he was three months premature he was twenty six weeks, and, and uh, he was one pound twelve ounces and um, and he was a miracle, and um, through that that experience, I was able to see the power of God. Um, every obstacle he came to he just jumped over it. Um, uh, my son did uh, through the power of God it just it was amazing, um, and uh, so I stopped drinking, um, but when I stopped drinking i I started uh, taking the pain pills and eventually went to heroin um that kind of stuff and i was selling drugs to buy my drugs so she didn't know about any of that you know i had my own money um you know that sort of thing and she ended up leaving and taking uh, the baby and everything and um uh, basically everything was stripped away from me in life all the worldly things so, um when one afternoon, I was—I couldn't find any dope, and so I was withdrawing. And uh, I just got on my knees and I begged. And I said, "God, I can't do this anymore by myself. Um, I need you." And um, and I just felt him just come into the room. Um, he just this love love. I knew that God loved me. So I called her and I called my grandmother and I said, I, I told my girlfriend at the time, I told her, she's my wife now of course, um, I, I need you guys to come back. Um, the alcohol and drugs um, were just, my mind changed where now I didn't want that anymore." the desire wasn't there to do that anymore. The physical addiction was there because those are very strong physical addictions. But um, the mental addiction was not there. And um, so, anyways, we got through that. went to programs, got into programs and everything. And um, So I, out there is when God started teaching me who I was. And who he was, and who I was supposed to be for my son and for my wife, and you know out there, of course, I was convicted that I need to marry this girl, you know like this is this is a covenant between me and her to God, that we are going to live our lives for him, and um, that we would do it together and so we got married, and all that, and it, Slowly but surely, the God just started filling our lives back up with with things that He wanted us to do. Uh, now we're on fire, and we want to live for God. God's the only reason we live. We don't just want to live for God; we live because of God. It's about my secret place, you know that 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 quiet time with God. Like that's that what builds me up every day. Every morning when I wake up, I wake up real early and I go into the Word. And I just, I want to know you more. I want to know Him more. I want to walk in the gift. I want to walk in every gift shining that scripture into the world. Because I'm a city on a hill. I'm the light of the world. Studying under um, the power and love guys and um, a lot of just, uh, there's a lot of, good teachers of the word out there that will teach you that you are a son living in the kingdom the kingdom is here and we have to show that to the world
1: Yeah, that's good, huh? God is good. Um, are Kyle and Brittany here? <laughs> Their mom, yeah? But, okay. <laughs> well, let's just pray for them. Shall we do that? And uh, there are a couple of other people I just want to pray for. But before we do, maybe, maybe you're at a place today where you're, you know, you're here and you're in a great deal of pain. And... Uh, Maybe it's in some ways by your own making, maybe by the making of other people, but God knows your circumstances and He really does invite each one of us to come along with Him on a journey. And Lord, thank You for Kyle and for Brittany. Uh, thank You for their, their family. Thank You for the life that You've given to them. As Kyle said, Lord, you are their life. It is in you that we live and move and have our being. God, would you encourage them and through their, his testimony, Lord, would you encourage each one of us that uh, there is uh, great hope in you in the midst of this life. Lord, we give you praise for all that you are and for all that you're doing in each one of us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> uh, Mark, and you're leaving for Swaziland, uh, Africa. Is that right? When will you actually be leaving? Tuesday. Can we pray for you real fast? will you and uh, have your bride, Lisa, stand with you, and let's pray for them. Some of you put some hand, your hands on them and just encourage them. Uh, Mark, you'll be gone. What about? How long will you be gone? About three weeks. You work at um, Orphanages there and do a multifaceted ministry of helps and giving and encouragement, and you get to see it all, brother. And uh, I know you've been a real blessing over the years that you've been going there. Let's pray for Mark and Lisa. Uh, Lord, thank you for Mark, and we pray, Lord, that you would encourage him and uh, his wife Lisa as he's gone. Uh, Lord, that you would protect him, that you would use him there as the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. Um, God give him all that he needs. Lord, you have your life uh, fully expressed through his life. And Lord, would you express yourself in love to those around him as he goes uh, to that continent. Lord, thank you for uh, their willingness to give. And Lord, as there are so many uh, in this congregation that have given over the years and continue to do so. uh, Lord, we pray your blessings upon The work of your body, Lord, it is our life together that in many ways we celebrate here this morning. Uh, Thank you for Mark, and thank you for Lisa. Thank you for what they do in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, Ariel, where are you? Um, Come up here, let's... uh, Ariel is actually representing um, a ministry that we've teed up, and that is... Um, our youth are going to Florida and, uh, there are a number of fundraisers going on, one of which you heard about this morning, which is a spaghetti luncheon next week, immediately following the service. And the other one, uh, is what?
2: Cool. I like this. It's
1: under my shirt.
2: Um, so after church today, um, we're, Stacy Smith and I are going to be out in the lobby. We are doing, it's like a hire a youth and, um, our youth still need to raise, um, a little bit more money um, to go, and if what we have are papers with everyone's names, phone numbers, and then the work that they're willing or that they can do for you. So we have like yard work, babysitting, washing cars, pulling weeds, you know, stuff that you really don't want to do. We'll come and do it for you so that we can go on this trip. So um, after church, if you meet us in the fellowship hall, we'll have papers to give to you, and you can just donate um, however much you want. And... When you donate, it'll go to myself, it'll go to Matt George, or it'll go to Stacy Smith. And um, Matt is over the youth program here, and then I'm the middle school, and then Stacy helps out as well. So um, you can just give the money to us, and we'll make sure that it gets to the kids. So.
1: Now, yeah. check should be made out to whom? It's a good question. Myrtle Grove. Okay. Not Myrtle, no.
2: Grove. okay. Myrtle Grove. Myrtle <laughs> Grove. I was wondering if I could get
1: my name in the pot. Yeah. <laughs> What's
2: that? Oh, yeah, Myrtle Grove, and then
1: the name of the student. Okay, yeah, yeah wonder, wonderful. Um, and they wash cars. That's amazing. I mean, that's good. My car really needs it. <laughs> well, how's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> God is good. Huh? Well, there's a lot going on, and um, it's exciting to get together. You know, we've been talking about our life together now for the summer, actually. We've been celebrating our life together. Intergenerationally, um, you know, we looked at our, our builders a few weeks back uh, and our boomers and each generation following them. And it's just been fun just to celebrate and see one another through a different lens. Has anybody else noticed sort of a shift that's been happening um, by which we start to see each other through uh, a different set of glasses, uh, so to speak? We see their giftings. We see their differences, we see the diversity. Uh, we heard from Kyle and about he and his wife, uh, Brittany, and some of the transformation that happened in his life. And uh, if you have a testimony that you would like, uh, that you think would be helpful uh, to the body, uh, let me know or Jim Glasgow know. And uh, we'll get someone like uh, Ron Anderson. Ron, raise your hand back here. He is the one who actually shot the video. Thank you for doing that. And we'd love to tee you up and have you share um, with the body. Well, our life together is, as I said, what we're looking at. I want to just take on the next 20, 30 minutes here and continue in the book of Esther. And uh, if you would turn to the book of Esther, and I want to actually, well, look at chapter 5, uh, chapter 6, and chapter 7 uh, today kind of a micro view, I mean a macro view, it's a big view, um, but I just want to lift out some principles. But before I do, I want to uh, ans- ask the question and then answer the question. Sometimes we look at the Old Testament and some have said, How is this relevant to me today? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, There's a couple of little verses, 11 and 12, that I want to read. It says, Now all of these things happened to them, in the old, um, as examples, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. And it is in that sort of vein that I want to look at this text in Esther chapter, primarily chapter 5 and 6, um, but some into 7, as we look at the name, uh, one of the characters, um, Haman. Now if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you'll know that we've walked through Esther. And uh, Esther is famous, that the book of Esther and is famous for... Uh, chapter uh, uh, 4 verse 14 that says uh, how do you know Mordecai her the uncle speaking to uh, Esther who was now queen how do you know that you have not um, arisen to the kingdom for such a time as this and it's that phrase that probably anyone who's read the book of Esther goes yeah and yet it's that's each one of our stories. That God has us, First Corinthians 10, all of these things have been written for us for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have now come. In other words, you weren't living in the first century. You weren't living in the 5th century B.C. You weren't living in uh, the 900's, the middle ages. You're alive on the earth now. And that text from Esther for such a time as this, I believe is one of the texts that, that God is hallmarking, is underscoring or is highlighting for the church to recognize that she has been called for such a time as this upon the earth. Uh, we live in this season of life uh, it's a time of great need. Anybody know that besides me? you watch news? It's a gr- time of great need. And we exist in Jesus for such a time as this. Now, uh, as we sort of walk through um, the, this chapter uh, 5, we find that Esther uh, was being asked to go to the king, King Ahasuerus, in order to ask him for the life of herself and all of those who were Jews living in Persia during that time. And uh, as we come to uh, chapter 5, we find that this uh, man named Haman, so there's Mordecai, kind of the uncle or cousin I think it was of Esther. Uh, He was called for such a time as this and he was used to um, foil an attempt, an assassination attempt on King Ahasuerus. Esther, his cousin, is being used to foil the annihilation of the whole population of the Jews. And uh, there's another player in the text, and his name is Haman. Now, Haman gets kind of a bad rap in some ways. And I want to look at Haman for just a minute uh, because. Um, Haman can be instructive as you and I look at the cycle through which Haman went. Um, So, let me pick up the story in chapter 5. Haman was actually... uh, Esther goes in before the king and the king says, what can I do for you? Yes, come into my presence. She comes into his presence... And he said, what can I give to you? What would you like up to half of my kingdom? And Queen Esther said, uh, King Ahasuerus, if it pleases you, would you and Haman, your number one uh, prince in Persia, attend a banquet in your honor tomorrow? And then I'll tell you what's on my heart. Yes, they agreed to do that. Uh, So... Haman, then, is um, the highest-ranking prince in the kingdom of Persia. We could say that uh, Haman was on the top of his game. Um, Haman, in fact, uh, had everything that you could imagine. Um, He was in the highest position. He was given wealth in the kingdom. He was favored by the king. Well, Haman being on top of his game his game, if you look at verse uh, 9, we'll pick up the story there, Haman um, went out, he had just gone to the banquet, and he was invited, he was the only one invited along with the king to the queen's banquet. Uh, granted, there were probably other people there, service people and all kinds of banquet, and you, who knows, the, you can fill out the picture of what the banquet was, but he was, with the king, the most and the highest honored guest. Uh, so, Haman leaves this first banquet. And uh, and at the banquet, the king says, Queen Esther, what is it you want? And she said, um, If it pleases the king, would you and Haman attend the second banquet tomorrow? Well, I don't know what the king thought, but okay, if this is what Esther wants, we got another banquet tomorrow. And it's between banquet one and banquet number two then that Haman, verse 9 of chapter 5, says this, So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. He had just been to a banquet with the king. He was one of the most highly celebrated individuals there was. That's why I said he was on top of his game. He was full of himself. He had everything he wanted. All the physical uh, realities that he would like. He had wealth. He had power. He had prestige. So he went out joyful and with a glad heart. But, when Haman saw Mordecai, the cousin of Queen Esther, who was sitting at the gate, at the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he, Haman, was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Now, what I'm showing you here is Mordecai's descent into darkness, if you will, a death spiral. And I'm going to show you how God tried to warn him numerous times. Why? Because God wasn't against Haman any more than He was against anybody else. God loves each one of us, and so He loved Haman, even though he was prideful and filled with himself and had everything uh, that he wanted. So Haman then had everything that he wanted. He was filled with pleasure and joy until he saw... Mordecai, this Jew, who wouldn't stand before him or bow before him or tremble at his presence. You could have everything that you want in life, but if there's one person who irritates you, that's what you'll begin to focus on. And that's what Haman began to do. It's kind of like if you could envision a white wall that's perfectly, purely white, But it has one little speck on it. What will your eye be drawn to? The one little spot. You know, and that's what it was, what was happening with Haman. He went out filled with joy until he saw Mordecai, and at that he was filled with indignation against this man. Now, watch what happens. Haman was at the top of his game, had everything in the kingdom that anyone could ever dream for, and yet. He focuses on his indignation, his anger, and his uh, going after uh, one man. And what did he begin to do? Verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and he went home. He sort of pushed it down. Did you ever try to do that? Something's irritating the fire out of you and you just don't deal with it. And you kind of push it down. Oh, that's. <clears throat> I'm going to try hard. So you stuff it down there, but it never works. So, Haman then went home, and the second level that begins to happen, once you focus on your irritation, the spiral into darkness, and once you begin to stuff it down and pretend it isn't there, watch what happens next. Uh, at verse, uh, the end of verse 10, so Haman sent and he called for his friends and for his wife. Now, why would anybody who is stuffing their irritation, preoccupied with the, white, the black spot on the huge white wall, you have everything, but you're focusing on the black wall. Why would he call his, his people together? Well, any time this descent into darkness. Now, these things are written for our instruction. Which is to say, you and I, if we're not careful, can be subject to the very same things. So, he calls his friends together and his wife because he began to look for agreement. you ever been angry at anybody? And you don't want to go to that person or you feel like your hands are tied and you can't go to that person. So what do we do? We find people who will agree with us. Pick a little, scratch a little, pick a little, scratch a little, pick, 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 scratch a little bit. That's from a musical way back in the day. We begin to talk to our friends. We begin to talk to those who are closest to us. We get irritated and instead of being proactive in dealing with it, we stuff it down and then it begins to ooze out of every pore such that we start talking about and enlisting people who will agree with us. So, Haman begins to look for agreement with his friends and with his wife in order to justify the hatred that was in his own heart. So, Haman went out and he called his friends together and his wife, Zeresh, which is her name, and uh, verse 11, when Haman told them, he began to tell them what a good guy he was. Now look at this. Haman began to tell them about his great riches. The king has given me all this stuff. I told you his life was at the top of his game. Uh, he, they began to... He began to tell them, not only of his great riches, um, but the multitude of his family. Look at my family. Look at my pedigree. Look at all the children that I have. Look how well they're doing. You see, uh, look at the riches I have, the family I have, um, look, at the, look at the position I have, everything in which the king has promoted me, um, and how he has advanced him, that is, um, Haman, Above all of his officials and servants, he begins to gloat and boast in who he is. You see, when there's anger in your heart, or bitterness, or resentment, or something else that you're stuffing down, you begin to compensate by telling people how good you are. In other words, we deal with that by compensating. Anybody do this besides me? Anybody? You see, that's what Haman was doing. So he begins to compensate, he calls his friends together, he tells them what a good guy he is, look at all the stuff I have, look at my riches, look at my family, look at my promotion, look at my advancement, look at all this stuff that I have, everything by which I was promoted and advanced. And then verse 12 says, Moreover, Haman said, Besides Queen Esther invited no one but me to come with the king to her banquet. Not only do I have all of this stuff, this power, this position, this advancement, this promotion, this family, all of this stuff, but I have been hand-selected by the king. So he's kind of pushing out his chest, and then, because he's got this, this thing fermenting in his heart, that he actually needs to deal with. Well, when you look at the New Testament, this death spiral, this un- Resolved anger in his heart, Matthew 5 says what he really has in his heart is murder. Um, Murder, if you're angry in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart. Uh, And if you go to Ephesians chapter, um, I think it is chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, granted, he, Haman, may not have had those texts, but he still had an understanding that he probably could have dealt with it. But he chose to stuff it down, to puff himself up before his peers, to enlist their engr- agreement and his justification before them, and finally um, begins to boast in all that he has. All of this, it says in verse 13 Yet, all that I have, yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew standing in the king's gate. It doesn't matter. What we have doesn't matter. Our positions, our prestige, our family, our riches. As long as there's something that's unresolved in our heart, it will eventually take you down. So we come then uh, to chapter or to verse 14. Then his wife Zeresh uh, and all his friends said to him. They listened to his gloating. They listen to him in spite of all of this stuff that I have. As long as as Mordecai stands in the city gate, there's nothing that's going to satisfy me uh, because of this anger that he had in his heart. So, verse 14, uh, his wife and friends say to him, let a gallows be made uh, 50 cubits high and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily to the second banquet with the king, um, and the thing pleased Haman, so he made the gallows. Now, I don't want to press this too hard, but if Haman would have dealt with his anger and bitterness, the black spot on the wall in an effective way, and not pushed it down, and not sought an audience of other people to agree with him and justify his actions, he probably would have never erected a gallows. Now, this wasn't just a a hanging platform. You know, if I were going to hang somebody, I'd probably build it 10 feet off the ground, because it doesn't take very long to high off the ground to hang somebody. This was 75 feet. A cubit was like from here to there. 75 feet in the air. This was a big gallows. And what he was saying by that is, I'm going to hang this sucker so everybody in the whole land can see him dangling. You see, his anger, his bitterness had become raged and at the suggestion of his wife and friends who said, we'll build a gallow and hang him. He said, that's a really good idea. Now, that's what happens then in chapter 5. Chapter 6 then simply says this. Um, chapter 6 is where God begins to try to intervene into Haman's death spiral, or descent into darkness. You see, God always does that with us. It doesn't matter how prideful we are, uh, how much we think we're full of ourselves, how much we have. God is always trying to intervene and get our attention if we will listen. That's the takeaway from this chapter. So, that night, the king could not sleep. Isn't it funny how God gets our attention? Now, the king couldn't sleep, and uh, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles. That means what happened in the Persian kingdom. Uh, and they read it before the king. He had some insomnia, couldn't sleep, so bring me the, you know, the history of what's going on and read it to me, and eventually I'll get sleepy and probably go back to sleep. And it was found, verse 2, that Mordecai had told of this assassination attempt of Big Thana and Teresh uh, two of the king's eunuchs the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus in other words it came to the king's attention by hearing the Chronicles being read that this guy who sits out at the king's gate by the name of Mordecai actually was the means by which this assassination attempt against you King Ahasuerus was foiled Isn't it interesting that God uses the insomnia of a pagan king to get the attention of someone that he's trying to redeem? I think God was trying to get Haman's attention. So, if you read a little bit further, then the king said, what honor and dignity has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? And the king's servant who was reading it uh, said, nothing has been done. Well, about that time, as the story sort of progresses, verse 4, it says, and the king says, who's out in the court? So evidently, they're reading the chronicles, and it comes to light that Mordecai had foiled the assassination attempt, and the king said, what honor have you bestowed upon him? And about that time, probably 6 o'clock in the morning, the, you know, the crows, are, the, whatever, chickens are beginning to, to crow, and the light's coming up, and all of a sudden we read that someone's out in the outer court. And the king said, who's in the outer court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king in order to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows of his own making. So here's the king. He's all excited about this man Mordecai, this lowly Jew that sits out in the gate. And... uh, 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 has anything bestowed, have we bestowed honor upon Mordecai? And here comes Haman, his number one prince in the Persian Empire. He's coming to get the king to hang Mordecai on the 75 foot gallows. Not a good situation. So that when you come into the king's um, presence, you don't start um, by asking the king anything. The king gets to set the agenda for the conversation. And the king's servant uh, then said to him, verse 5, Haman is there standing in the court, and the king said, Let him in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, the king asked Haman, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Well, Haman... He just got done telling his family, look everything I have. I was the only one invited to the king's banquet. I was chosen by the queen. I have all of this stuff, my family, my position, my—you know, all this stuff that I have, so that it says, now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? <laughs> now he's there to murder Mordecai and thinks in his heart, the king is about to honor me in a big way. So Haman then answers, what, would the, what should the king do uh, in honoring someone? And Haman answered the king, thinking it was of himself. Um, Haman answered and he said, the man whom the king delights to honor, let the royal robe be brought which the king himself has worn. Oh, Number two, bring a horse on which the king himself has ridden. Number three, make sure it's that big steed you know there's whatever that is that big stallion that wears this crown on his head he's decked out with with purple and with red and all this stuff i would say put that man on that horse and he goes on and then he took then he said uh, put him on the horse and a royal crest that's the crown upon its head number nine let those robes and the horse be delivered to the hand of your most trusted noble prince and that they may array the man whom the, Lord, whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him around all of the city, through the city square, and proclaim before that man whom the king delights to honor. Um, Thus shall it be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. And then King Ahasuerus said, uh, Haman, hurry, and take the robe and the horse, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew. The man whom he was just coming in to say, we're going to swing him from the highest gallows in the land. And now, you see what is happening? The king, it's just a representative. These things are written for our benefit. If we don't deal with our stuff we will make gallows by which we will like to see people swinging on them. Now, when we, we, we come in then, we find out that God is trying to awaken Haman. There he, God, I believe, is humiliating this pompous, prideful, full of Himself man and making him do the very thing that He once done to him. He's making him do it for this lowly Jew. Now, can you imagine what happened? God's getting His attention all day long as He's walking around leading this amazing horse on which, decked out with purple and colors and a crown we know on its head, and on top of this horse is Mordecai the Jew wearing a robe and wearing all of the festive garments that the king himself had worn um, and And Haman gets to walk him around all day long yelling out, this is what the king will do to the man whom the king desires to honor. All day long. Now just pause here for just a second. What could have happened had Haman recognized uh, with some humility the error in his own heart, the murder that was already there? I wonder if at the end of the day, he couldn't have gone to Mordecai and helped him off of the horse. Here, you, know, you know, whatever they do. And then say, uh, Mordecai, can we talk? I've had anger and murder in my heart toward you. And, and I've built a gallow it's 75 feet tall and I wanted to see your feet dangling until they kicked no more. What would have happened if, if, if Haman would have humbled himself before God and came clean with the condition of his own murderous heart in repentance? Do you see what's happening here? I believe God gave him an entire day to say, Haman, are you going to deal with what's in your heart? or not and therein brothers and sisters is the question for each one of us will we deal with what is in our heart before God with authenticity and vulnerability and genuineness not pushing it down covering it over justifying it before our friends or maybe not even speaking of it at all and in fact what happens uh, is that as you read through the rest of the chapter Uh, Haman goes home, hurries home, the end of verse 12, says to his home, mourning and with his head covered. And I would add to that probably seething with anger and murderous threats about this blasted Jew that I just had to parade all around town telling him how good he is. Telling the people. This is how the king wants to uh, bless and honor uh, someone. Well, we find that the next that evening, while he's just arriving home, the end of chapter uh, six, the king's eunuchs come and hasten to bring Haman to the banquet, the second banquet that Queen Esther had prepared. So he just gets home, humiliated, unrepentant, angry as all get out, seething with murder. And here come the eunuchs to take him, the only invited guest, along with the king, to the second banquet of Queen Esther. Verse 1 of chapter 7, So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day, at the banquet of wine, the king asked and said, Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted you, and what is your request, up to half of my kingdom, and it shall be done. And then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, uh, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, you may remember that um, Haman was the one who orchestrated that written document by which it said all of the Jews will be destroyed and annihilated on a specific day. So, Queen Esther now is making her request. And so, the king began to become incensed. Look at verse 5 in chapter 7. So, King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Now, just on the other side of the table, presumably, or somewhere on the dance floor, we're not sure of the context, we have Haman. And Queen Esther then, uh, at that question, who is he who would presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, "Um, the adversary, the enemy is this wicked Haman, and Haman was shivering in his boots. That's my translation. He began to tremble because he knew all of a sudden the full fury of the king was about to be enacted upon his unrepentant, prideful heart because he was unwilling to humble himself before Mordecai Deal with his own anger, bitterness, resentment, and hatred, and it was about to cost him everything. So, with that, the king, to bring the story to a conclusion, the king walks out into the garden. He's like, This is my number three guy in the whole kingdom of Persia. So, the king's trying to get it all together for a few minutes out in the garden, and he comes back into the, uh, the, the palace where where the banquet was going on, Um, and we find out that um, when he returns, um, the queen is sitting on a couch, or standing near a couch, we don't know, and Haman is falling on the couch before her, pleading for his life. Now, we don't know what that looked like, but it didn't look good to the king when he returned. He's on the couch and he's embarrassing his queen. And as then King Ahasuerus returns, he says, This will he also? Then the king said, Upon his return, seeing Haman laying on the couch and his queen next to him, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, as the word left the king's mouth, they, his escorts, covered Haman's face. And now Harbona, which was one of his attendants, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, look, the gallows that Haman himself has built 50 cubits high, 75 feet off of the ground, which Haman made for Mordecai, who who, who spoke good of the king's behalf, is standing in the house of Haman. He said, king, look at the gallows that Haman has built. For Mordecai, the guy that did good for you and foiled the assassination attempt. And then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. That's an interesting story, but let me end it by simply asking a question. Sometimes we build gallows of our own making because of our unwillingness to deal with what's in our heart. We play religious games. We all do it. You know, it's just easier to sidestep things than take the frontal approach of talking to a man face to face. Sometimes we gather a crowd, sometimes we yap and gossip. Sometimes we spew out all kinds of venom and create all kinds of havoc. And eventually, if we're not listening to the Spirit of the Lord, giving us opportunities to humble ourselves and to repent and to deal specifically, head on head. You know, there are ways in which God says if you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God in due season, He'll raise you up. He, you know, He, he says, he says uh, things like in um, Hebrews... Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Haman's leading the horse. Haman, today, if you you hear My voice, don't harden your heart. God's calling out to people. Don't harden your heart. Humble yourself before God before it's too late. and Before you get hanged on the gallows of your own making. That's bad! And sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot by our own unwillingness to deal with what God's putting before us. Well, the good news, brothers and sisters, is that uh, God is actually giving each one of us in these days an opportunity to turn from our pride as Haman had his pride. God, in fact, resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble Therefore, verse 10 of James chapter 4 says, Humble yourselves in the, under the mighty hand of God in the sight of the Lord, and in due time He will raise you up. Is there anything? Now, here's the reason. God is raising up a church for such a time as this. And if we allow anything, those sins that do so easily beset us, they will become the means by which We enter into the the spiral into darkness. And God is saying, I've not called you for that. I've called you to be men and women of humility. You don't have to be first, Steve. You don't have to be exalted by other people. I've called you to be a servant. I've called you to love other people. I've called you not to be full of yourself, but to empty yourself and to be full of Me. That's what God's calling His church to. And if you name the name of Jesus, that is our destiny in this life. To lower ourselves, humble ourselves, and, and walk in a measure of brokenness and humility and contrition of heart knowing that God will eventually plead your case as He did for Mordecai. Mordecai wasn't telling anybody, hey, I foiled the king's uh, um, assassination attempt. Get, get word to the king that I did that. No. What was he doing? He was simply trusting. And in due season, God used the insomnia of the king to bring everything into light so that the enemy of Mordecai, Haman, was ultimately destroyed and Mordecai took his place and received the riches along with King Esther. Fascinating story. But it has great application to each one of our lives. This morning as well. Uh, let's pray and maybe Dean if you'd come. and I'm going to ask some of our ministry team just to be available up, up here as we conclude. And I, was, I just want to ask you a question before we pray. Um, is there anything in your heart you know, where, that place where nobody sees. That's what I'm talking about. Is there anything in any of your relationships uh, by which you're harboring anger, which can easily become bitterness and resentment and hatred and murder and a gallows? And, and if there is, if you, if you say, yeah, God's speaking to me about this and I've got to deal with it, I implore you, in the name of the King of the universe, deal with it. He's not surprised. He loves you. In spite of our stuff, He's given us all things to enjoy. Let's pray together and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank You for giving us an opportunity to consider Your Word. Lord, it is Your Word and it is Your Spirit that You are most interested in as it impacts our deepest heart. Lord, maybe there are people here this morning who've never really in a meaningful way like Kyle mentioned in his testimony, never really given their lives to Jesus, would You draw them to that place where they could, with humility and with a measure of brokenness, ask You for forgiveness because You are gracious and good. God, would You break every yoke this morning off of Your people any place where there's pride that's existing under the surface, animosity toward a, a brother or a sister, maybe unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, hatred, all of which, Jesus, You call murder if we don't deal with it. Would You cause us to come and to lay it all at the feet of Your cross, As we sang earlier, I surrender all. God, that's what we want to do. We want to live our life together free of every impediment. We want to live our lives fully empowered by your presence and spirit for such a time as this in which we live upon the earth. So God, you call and you draw and would you accomplish all that you desire in each one of us. Would you stand with me? As we close with this closing song, if you would like special prayer or maybe you just want to come forward and and kneel up here for a moment of quietness and silence before your King, you can do that. Maybe you want special prayer back there and you just want to nudge somebody and say, hey, will you pray for me? You don't have to share what's going on the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man, and woman of sex, and avails much. So, Father, have your way with us. Thank you that you have called us for such a time as this. Thank you that, like Queen Esther, we can come into your presence and have full assurance that you accept us just the way we are. God, thank you that, like uh, Mordecai, Lord, we simply serve the needs of others around us without looking for appreciation or accolades. Work that humility into each one of our hearts in the name of Jesus. Let's worship, and during this song, if you'd like special prayer, would you come forward, kneel, seek a prayer from those who are up here. Pray for a few minutes, and if you want to come and hang out in the presence of Jesus, feel free to do that. Love on each other as you slip out. Uh, Pray for one another if that seems right. God bless you, and have a wonderful day today in Jesus'